the Dhamma is likened to a wheel, and two features of the wheel are that it it uh, it turns <laughs> and it goes to a good place, and the other feature of it is that it's uh, a wheel. The Dhamma wheel is made up of factors that bind it together. So the eightfold path, sila samadhi panya. So it's really a, a mm, compound uh, factors knitted together to form a, a, a unit that act in harmony, act in unison, mm, like the spokes of a wheel. Yeah. And uh, so all of the Buddha's teachings, you always recognize as always lists, you know, eightfold path, three characteristics, um, five indriya. Mm. 37 bodhipakya dhammas, <laughs> seven enlightenment factors, never a singular thing. It's never just this, do this, do that. As always, bring this into fruition, this comes into fruition, that comes in, it's built up, you build up a collection that moves uh, in the right way. Mm. And it's harmonious. So it's never a one-shot technique or a one-shot instruction even. So you listen to a lot of talks, some emphasize this, some emphasize that. Uh, you know, and it's really seeing how all these Dhamma teachings, Vinaya teachings, teachings on precepts, teachings on kindness, teachings on samadhi, how they should not be in contradiction to each other. Yeah. And of course we're always putting this wheel on the ground of our lives. It's a lived out experience. It's lived out in this incarnate form. Yeah. Not outside it. And that's a wheel then that moves through the world. You know moves through the world. Mm. And as we all recognize, uh, most of us coming to practice in some way this sense of discontent, alienation from the world. It's boring, it's frustrating, it's tiring, it's exhausting, it's confusing, it's not going where I want to go. It's tangling me up, it's... um, yeah, fruitless, stressful. So naturally there's a kind of, I want to get out of this world. Quite an understandable um, movement. Mm. Um, a sense of urgency, get out of this world. But actually, as is commented, you don't get out of this world by traveling. Mm. And you don't get out of it just by following that instinct by itself. You move through it. And it moves through it in a way that's harmonious. The Buddha lived on planet Earth harmoniously with conditions, people, silences, absences, presences, placed his most significant monastery right next to the capital city. It's like living in Croydon. (laughs) You know, then he said to to target his delight in in quiet places and then put his main monastery right next to the capital city of the most important, both the most important kingdoms. Why didn't he go off to some mountain top somewhere? It's not quite like that. Yeah. Through seeing the world as it actually is, the Tantra is released. So even in the midst of all that, he can be released. Yeah. Through non-clinging, through seeing through it. So our wish to get out of the world 
there's often a, some truth in it, but it's often confused because we're not very clear in what the world is. And really what we're trying to realize, it's this uh, inner world of our passions and confusions and pains and uh, uncertainties. Mm. That's cleared and the outer world doesn't really catch hold and distinguish the two. Because you can get off on the wrong footing if you feel you've got to, you know, get out of the world. Because wherever you go, it's there. You know, you come to a Chitta's monastery, oh, people, oh, things to do. Oh, you can't get out, there's too much going on. Mm. You know, go to another place, oh, the, you know, it's too hot, it's too cold. Don't like the teacher. You know, so we're carrying... <laughs> You know, we're still carrying the same um, foundations of the world. And the Buddha said, this is not uh, earth and water, it's uh, aggregates. Mm. This is form, uh, the experience of form, the presence of something. We favor or, or dislike, we get stuck in it, you know including obviously bodies, but anything that occupies our attention. We get mesmerized by it, we cling to it, we fight with it, we rejoice in it. And so through that clinging adherence, form threatens us, form drags us around, drags the heart around. Our heart's not dragged around, form is just, just the form. Feeling thrown around by feeling. You notice any pleasant feeling is the nature to arise, it passes. How does that feel? Painful feeling, don't want it. But that's the nature, we always have this. This is far of the world, particularly mental feeling is the most powerful. Maybe thinking physical pain in your body is powerful. What gets us most of the time is the mental feeling based upon being irritated by people, rejoicing in this, uh, delighting in that taste. Things going the way I like them to. Just purely upon mental inclination. Things going at my speed or in accordance with my wish. Pleasant feeling. Excited, happy. Praise, blame, gain and loss. These are things that blow the mind around. Perceptions, impressions, which feeling, mental feeling is based upon. Impressions of being you know, liked or disliked. Impressions, perceptions of other people. Interpretations, uh, cling to. Where we jump to conclusions, jump to inter- inter- interpretations about ourselves, about others, and then you know, you know, cling, stick to that, build up a story around it. And you know, when you sit on retreat, you can just start to find your mind just weave these perceptions of impressions of, yeah, if I was here, if I was there, if I was out there doing this, if I was doing that, it'd be really good. Yeah. If I was, you know, all kinds of inner impressions. And when you hear him get fabulous, it would be to be somewhere else. <laughs> if you're a monk, it'd be great to be a lay person. If you're a lay person, it'd be great to be a monk. You know, or a nun. No, it's not. Because <laughs> a chitta is not a monk or a nun or a lay person. Yeah. So we, what happens is we, you know, the, the, the chitra is fabricating all these perceptions and impressions and they're all fashioned from the basic material of craving. And so we don't see that. We don't see, not perceptions, not the problem, it's the craving and the clinging. The perception is just a perception, it's an impression. Yeah. 
happens. It has to happen. You know, got visual consciousness, you get some impression. You know? But a wise person says, maybe so. Maybe so. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe so. Mm. Another one, of course, is formations, the aggregate of formations of, of the impulse energy. Impulse energy. Go here, go there, do this, do that. That'd be great. Get one of the excitement. Yeah. Or negativity, resist. So impulse, 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 impulse. Mm. It drives the mind. We get bored if we don't have one. Then we, one takes over and we get excited and swept away. Then we have an impulse to try to stop it all happening. Don't have any thoughts, don't have any impressions, don't have any movements in your mind. That's another impulse. Instead you say, this is just an impulse. And if there's no adherence to it, no fascination with it, no dejection about it, the clinging, then just the movement, just the movement, this is what minds do. And uh, through that non-clinging, non-fascination, mind begins to notice something else. An unconditioned, a non-impulsive, non-movement that's settled. Mm-hmm. Consciousness, sight, sounds, touches, thoughts, pinging the mind, dumping stuff in. We resist, we duck, we weave, we fight, we shield, we favour. What happens if that doesn't occur? Someone whose mind is like a cloud. You shoot an arrow into a cloud, it just passes through. Can it be like that? Or does sight sound stick? cause agitation. How much do we make out of what we see or hear? How much do we crave sights and sounds? Like to be in Portugal, like to be on a mountain top, like to be by the sea, like to have a hot donut in the morning. Kind of fabricate well, items, not just even that aren't there, and then the ones that do arise. So this is what the world—the world we can—you want to get out of, uh, because these are sometimes not—they're not even chosen. They're just this world we're not even deciding. It's just blind reactions. The, you know, jitters got stuck. This is what it knows, so it just keeps churning it away and, and creating another world where this wouldn't exist, where I'd be left alone, where it'd be quiet and peaceful and calm and serene and nobody bother me and it'd be wonderful and fulfilled, happy, good feeling all the time. This kind of vague impression, fashioning another world. Yeah. And so we get out of that. And the uh, you know, the first step is always, the Buddha says, uh, first step, be heedful. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. just, wait, just lift your attention, what's going on. Disengage, just lift your attention. That's viveka, disengage, your attention. Be heedful. Be notice the world. Notice it clearly, notice where it is. Where is the world that you're really living in? Notice where it is. This is heedfulness. It means now it's placing you in some relationship where you could have some say on that slippery, vibrant, tangling, pulsing experience. You could answer that rather than just completely immersed in it. Heedfulness. Those who are not heedful are like swept away in the flood. Almost dead, like dead fish, swept away in a river. They look pretty lively because the river's lively, but the fish are dead. Yeah. 
and not when it steps out. It's notice the stream, the world. Then you look at it more carefully. What's it structured out of? Hmm? I remember a friend of mine, a Hungarian, he said he, when his grandfather in Hungary, which is uh, a lot of, lot of it is fairly a large plain, they grow cereals and they have big, big barns where they collect all the whatever it is, wheat or barley or whatever they're growing. These enormous barns. And uh, his grandfather said, they, one of these barns, they cleared it. They were using it as a, as a hall to dance in. This barn, big barn, having a, about 150 people in there all kind of having a, some sort of party, dancing and singing and so forth. And this barn, old barn, and it caught fire. A wooden barn caught fire. And they're in panic. Get out, get out, get out. So they, you know, there's a door, big doors of the barn, so they're rushing towards the door, they're stamping each other, and, um, you know, timber's falling down. And this guy's grandfather and his friend stopped. Looked around, so everybody's rushing towards the door, and wait a minute. Wooden barn. Mm. Yeah, just punch a hole in the timber. The wall, get out. They they got out. Eighty people died in the barn, burnt alive, trampled. But they looked at the structure. They just paused from that panic, looked around, and said, "This is is just a wooden barn. Yeah, you know, you can push that out, right?" They knew the structure. (laughs) They looked at the structure (laughs) rather than just the impression of conflagration. Yeah. And the idea of a door, everybody rushing towards, trampling each other, falling over. Mm-hmm. Push, yeah, yeah we, we shove on that, we'll knock a hole. And they did, they got out. Because yeah. they paused. That's what heedfulness is. You pause. You don't have to pause for ten minutes, you just pause, just so you catch the pause, just that. Wait a minute. What's this structured about? Where am I? You're getting into an argument. This is this, and he says that, and he says this, and so and so says that. Wait a minute. What are we in? We're in some kind of thought world, trying to find certainty in a thought. (laughs) There isn't any. This is just. This is a. This is a totally. Mythical structure. <laughs> Let's get out of this, you know. It says in the Abhidharma and the Sutta, this says so and so, so and so, so and so. And there's two people arguing each other about a thought. Thinking, but it's just a thought. <laughs> you know? What are we doing? You know, hot, tangled conflagrations, you know. Oh, stop! This is this is structures on fire. Mm. So, in this uh, practice, you really that lifting of, of heedfulness. Where are you? The world of the future is streaming away with its dreads and plans and joys and imaginations streaming away. Look at that one. How solid is that? Whew. Yeah. Opinions about people. Just running away, tangling, thickening, pressing you down. Wow, what's that? And you don't realize, uh, you know, you miss the thing that you don't see is an unconscious clinging to them. You know, we don't notice. That's, the, the fascination, the adherence, mesmerized by these forms, 
physical form, mental forms, adhering to them, seeking certainty in them, seeking conviction in them, fighting with them. All this is this adherence. A clinging is not necessarily about liking something. It's a blind reaction formed out of tanha, thirst. And thirst, and these are these five aggregates, are called those which are affected by clinging. Clinging hovers around them. It's like they are prone to it. Yeah. Just like uh, you know, food is prone to rotting away. Bodies are prone to sickness. Aggregates are prone to clinging. It hovers around, and tanha craving is the energy that infects, sticks that gent that gets clinging going. And what do we crave? What is the craving about? Craving for certainty, craving for stability, craving for continuity, craving for the future, craving to be something, craving to not be something. These are kind of expressions that are used. Craving for to be something in the future, craving to not be something in the future. Projecting one, projecting one's impressions, self. So I'll be certain. And it's always establishing, it always adheres to any of these five aggregates. Uh, it throws the chitta into these five aggregates. Good news is it's only the aggregates that are the problem. <laughs> it's only the aggregates that are affected by clinging. It's only the aggregates that craving occurs around. So if you understand that, and you're aware of that, and you can notice this is a form. This is one that's going to be prone to some clinging. See what happens. See the favoring, the disliking, the identifying with. Shape of your body, shape of somebody else's body. That's a person. No, it's not. It's a form. Yeah. Mm. These are areas we can begin to recognize where clinging adheres to. So, okay, well, let's get rid of all the bodies. Throw everybody out. There'll be, there'll be no clinging. Well, still be clinging to what? To your ideas and impressions. Impulses and desires. Opinions and views. Ideas about yourself. So it's the perceptions still remain. So we say it's not form that's the problem, it's clinging. Clinging is a potential that occurs, so you want to watch it because then you can see how oh, this is the form and there's the clinging to it. And to a different form is just the form. Then you can feel a certain, you know, agitation, adherence. Oh, so, you know, that's it. And it's a kind of heating, heating up, stirring. Tanha. This is just form. Form is what? Shape. What's a shape? Something that's bound to change. What's a texture? Something that's bound to change. What's a size? What's desire about a size or a shape? It's just just a shape, isn't it? And yet we in the mind injects desirability into that. Clingability. Is there any shape that doesn't change? Hmm? So you start to, this is a reviewing process. You, know, you analyze form, perceptions, impressions. If anybody have the same impression? Aren't they all slightly different? Changing. Impressions of other people. Impressions of the day, impressions of being a nun or a monk, dismal, joyful, confusing, wonderful, confident, 
What is it? What are you talking about? <laughs> and yet we can stick on one of these, and you stick on it, and the jitta then fabricates a whole world of impressions and stories and self. What I want to be, what I can never be, this doesn't work for me, I don't like this, I want to be that. And this kind of stuff just fabricating away. The clinging takes over. Impulses take over. Barns on fire. Nobody gets out alive of that. So you want to know where these these where these infections take over. Yeah. And that knowing, yeah, itself is not a single thing, but it's bound another bound together. So like the wheel. So we might use the five indriya together. So it's not just a bit of understanding. Understanding is good, but it's not enough. You need energy to keep applying. Energy is good, but it's not enough. You need some samadhi to deepen it. That's good, but it's not enough. You need faith, sense of there's a further to keep you interested, motivated. Yeah. It's not enough by itself. You have mindfulness to make sure everything is being applied in the appropriate way. So you get these five indriya together, they form a, a team. Hmm? And it's like they circle around the citta and protect it. And it's said that these five indriya, which can be, whatever well, once again, sadha, faith, sense, so there's a possibility. That one goes down, doesn't it? Oh, fed up, no point. Doing the same old thing. Fire's gone out, jitta's gone dim. <laughs> yeah. Energy. Uh, you, know, you might think energy's always got to be Full speed. No, energy just means vitality. You're vibrant, you're alive. That could be quite steady and still. It's vibrant, present. Doesn't have to be moving, but you're not damp, you're not gone stale. Mindfulness, you may think mindfulness is about focusing on a particular point. No, it's not. Its salient feature is it bears in mind, it brings to the heart and stays with what's appropriate. Whether that's, uh, and the most important thing to stay with is the Dhamma. Now, it's not just an idea, it means a sense of, you know, craving has to be abandoned, stay with that. Stay with, suffering has to be understood, stay with that. And so mindfulness is sometimes uh, or repeatedly defined as one bears in mind the meaning of teachings given long ago. Suffering is to be understood. Cessation is to be realized. There is a path to be cultivated. Bear that in mind. So you have that, covers it all, doesn't it? So you think, oh, I'm fed up with sitting here watching my breath. Okay, tired out. So just that suffering, suffering is to be understood. Means what? Means, you know, then your energy's not running out, your energy's so, then walk, stand, reflect, practice metta, you can shift by being mindful of what's important to be mindful of, how your practice is running, how your practice is going. So you place it not just upon ground that can fall away. Sometimes, frankly speaking, you just can't do another sit. You had enough of it. Faith has run out, energy's run out. So okay, let's do some walking, do some standing. Okay, do some chanting. Okay, go and talk to someone. Get some inspiration back. You can't just keep plugging away on blind willpower. It's got to be the faith has to be re-established. Energy has to be revitalized. So get up. Do some exercise, take some fresh air, you know? It's often things like this. Mindfulness is supervising, bearing in mind the teachings, and 
wisdom is that's not there, that's not there, this is what you need. This is the way these indriya bond together. Yeah. And mindfulness is checking it, just supervising it all, bearing in mind the teaching, and then the wisdom element says, that ain't working. Yeah. There's where the, your faith has run out. Okay, where does it get re-established? Go and find your teacher. Yeah. That's what establishes it. Sometimes it's just a matter of bringing your energy up. Suddenly you feel more inspired because you're really fully, imp- you're not just going into a daydream, fuzzy state, but you feel the vigor of your own practice. So these, how these club together, how they work together. Yeah? And they're standing. Just like you know, the uh, creatures that protect themselves from carnivore. You get like um, you ever seen videos of um, oxen, like mus- musk oxen in Canada, and the wolves are out looking for animals to eat. So these musk ox travel in a pack, yeah, and the wolves try and break up the pack, panic, get the pack to panic. So some, one scatters away, all the wolves jump on the one that's left behind. The weak one, or the young one, the infant, or the sick one. They rip it apart and they get their meal. But the wise ox, they form a circle, and the adults, the strong ones, stand in the circle. have got their big, heavy horns standing in a circle with their horns and their front facing out. They circle around with the more vulnerable ones inside then the wolves can't get in because they're meeting these massive strong horns yeah. they defend they, yeah. and the wolves try and get one to panic you know jump at one and try and get it tease it to get out so they cause the pack to break up and then they break it up and then they select one that's the weakest and devour it yeah, but if they stay they stay in that ring However many attacks the wolves make, they can't get in. Of course, it's incredibly frightening, I'd imagine. But you've got to face that and stay intact. So these five indriya, when they club together and stay intact, then the demons, the defilements, can't get in. But if one runs out, if your faith runs out, there's a big gap and... (laughs) Wolves get in and <laughs> grab your chitta. Because <laughs> you've got your faith goes down, you think, oh, I can't be bothered, that's the point of this. Whoa, wolves get in there, start chewing you up. Yeah. Or your mindfulness goes. Yeah. You don't bear the teachings in mind. Starts drifting off into you know, this, that, or the other. Mindfulness goes, and the wolves get in. When wisdom goes, it doesn't discern what needs to be discerned you're getting caught up in defining this or noticing that but what you really need to discern is where there's craving where there's a loss of mindfulness where the indriyas are breaking down that's what you need to discern first of all so you keep the the pack intact and it said when these five indriya held together they unify in the deathless so where they merge to unity. This is a powerful teaching. You know, it's a very succinct teaching, isn't it? Of course, it's mysterious, like, what the five indriyas merge in the deathless? What's an indriya? What's a deathless? How do you do that? <laughs> These are kind of cryptic, extremely condensed tips, you know, whispered, offered. To disciples, like you know, you unpick it. This is this is the this is the nugget. Okay, work on it. What's an indriya? Indriya is like a warrior, a powerful, you know, ally. So you know, where is it? I don't see any indriyas around here. <laughs> All I see is forms and shapes and so. No, I don't see any indriyas here. Oh, well. <laughs> Look in the right place, you know. <laughs> this, this, 
know, this isn't defined in terms of physical environment or a particular place or occasion. It's, it's in the heart. Get to know this realm where your faith is, where your sense of, yes, I can, I can, there's something better for me. There's a possibility. You know, there's an awakening. There's something I can move towards. Where's that? It's not there. Nothing. You, know, well, you need to use some wisdom and reflect a little bit you know, on, on the teachers and the teachings and the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. There is a way. You know, and what gives rise to that kindling? These are beings who are happy, peaceful, contented. You know, Say so the people would see these great disciples and say, you know, it's amazing. Their faces are serene, their features are radiant, and they're living on straw, just lying on the ground on straw, living on arms food. Wow. Remember that. And you've got the king... You know, and all his harem, his jewels and his food and his warriors, he's always worried, anxious, frightened, bad-tempered, mind uneven. Yeah, look at that. Get a load of that. (laughs) Same thing's happening today, isn't it? You see the kind of pompous, bombastic leaders of, of political parties spouting and, you know, you know, people empty of of real depth and uh, purity, impure, lying, deceiving, blustering, steeped in impurities. Look at that. Yeah, you don't want to be that. The glamour and the glitz, celebrities. Yeah. Looks so glamorous, and you realize that she's had a nervous breakdown, he's addicted, he's just come from heroin addiction, he's got to have substance abuse, you know. They, she can't even form a stable relationship, third partner in a row, you know. Look at that, no stability, no substance. And then you meet well practiced people, they don't waver, they're not addicted. They don't tell lies, they're not cheap. Where's that? You know, what do you want to be? Hmm? No, you know, you see, looking looking around and where your faith has arisen. Okay, you want to be like that? Put some work into it, some effort into it. Energy. And important to realize this, this uh, it's not frantic energy. If you notice the way energy is, there's the energy that rises up, energy that releases, and there's a kind of pause. So why are we encouraged to meditate on breathing? Hmm? Gives you a very nice example, very palpable, tangible example of three phases of energy. And you get that, and you can discern it, you notice that's it's the way energy is, yeah, the way it has to be. The energy that arouses, so we're inspired, we're rising up, we're doing something, we all recognize that. Yeah, get out of bed, go to work, pick up yourself up, it's the energy that rises. And then energy that releases, you sit down, take a breather. Oh, relax, it's that. And if you recognize, very important, there's a pause. We notice with breathing, you're breathing out. And then the muscles in the body that do the breathing relax. After the muscles relax, you stay with it, stay mindful, you feel something just opens into a steady state. It's not dead. It's not nothing. Energy is just gathering. Vitality is not dead. 
not cold, it's not flat. Energy has just gone into steady state vitality for a few seconds and then it picks up again. End of the inhalation, breathing stops, energy continues to shift and shimmer and goes into an open state, a few seconds or two, and then return. You focus on those points, on those pause points, they will regulate your breathing. Those are important ones to recognize. Yeah, so with energy you tend to either get interested in the, in the rising or interested in the relaxing. <laughs> yeah. But the most important point is the pausing because that regulates. If you put more attention into those, your breathing begins to level out, become steadied. Yeah. And why that's significant is because the breathing energy very much stimulates or supports corresponding emotional energy. Right? You know, either we're enthusiastic, or we're relaxing, or we're excited, or we're resting. Yeah. It's also negative energy. You get passioned, despair, fed up, you know, overexcited, got so much to do, so much to do, so much to do, understimulated, can't be bothered, fed up, useless. Yeah. So these are very discernible energies. If you stay in the pause, when you get into the end of these states, gradually that will steady your energy. And you come into something that's not excited and not bored. It's just steady. That's the most important. And that's what the untrained mind doesn't know. The world in general is caught up with excitement and then taking a break. Getting excited and then switching off. Boom, bust. Boom, boom. Boom. Yeah, that's the world. That's because around those forms you can cling. The clinging arises. We enjoy or we get activated. But around pause, there's no action. There's nothing to cling to. It's not good or bad. It's just there's nothing to cling to. That's the most important bit. This is the way out, if you like, in a, in a, in a nutshell. Of course, it's not... You know, we've got to stay with that pond in our breath, but to recognize this feature, and it's the same with your thinking mind, will do the same. If you listen carefully, attend, you know, the thought jumps a little, little, little and then you know, notice that. Of course, these pause points get overruled by the impetus. So this is why it's important to cultivate and to breathing is giving you a giving you a hint. You can discern that. So mindfulness of that. Take it all in. Notice the pause points. Particularly in monastic life, we really encourage those pauses. You know, when you stand and wait. Time to go, and then boom, wait for the bell. Oh, we're waiting, we could fidget around, we could have a conversation, we could think about tomorrow, we could just stop. Feel you. Relax. Open. Now you may crave the idea of that, but that experience itself <laughs> yeah, doesn't go anywhere, doesn't make anything, it doesn't reject anything, it doesn't judge anything, 
It doesn't barge anything out of the way or contend with anything. Isn't that like a keyhole that you can touch into? Oh. Now what if we gather around that, make that important, that aspect of our experience? Uh, the rising from it into action, and the de- resting, moving away into that again. There's a constant, like a punctuation that moderates everything. Believe in something, argue with it, or just mm-hmm. see the same thing that, that heedfulness, where you disengage from the momentum. And you realize when you disengage from the momentum, it's not like nothing. There's a quality, a presence, awareness, aliveness. But it's not in this aggregate mix. It's not not going anywhere. It's not, it's peaceful. And you take a new cue from that, you know what it's like to have a chitta that's not fabricating or disturbed or wanting or resisting or oh, there's that. It can happen. There's that. Your faith lifts up because actually that's not you know, it's not that. not that obscure, it's just the point that we don't, we rush over. Just like the people who rushed out of the barn, tried to rush out of the barn. Just like the ox that got panicked and broke their formation. They got stirred and rushed out, and just stay your ground. And the ground is quite steady because it's not established on a particular form or a feeling or an idea or an impetus of any kind. Hmm? So then it can't fall away, can it? If our faith is based upon a person, what happens when the person passes away? Faith is based upon a technique, what happens when the technique doesn't work? as they don't. Any system is a convention, it doesn't always work. What happens when the mind doesn't settle down? It's saying just keep banging away at a mantra or something, or a buddho, banging away at it, getting more upset, uptight, banging, trying to bang the mind down into submission. (laughs) How How long do you want to do that for? If we're enough banging, crashing, pushing, or running away. This is the mind. The conditions are this way. The back door of the barn that we didn't notice. Because you always thought the way out is to run out the door. No, no penetrate the structure. How it moves you, binds around you, urges the aggregates, binding, urging, compelling, fearful. This is where you have to be like one of those oxen, you stand your ground. Stand your ground. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there's uncertainty. Stand your ground. Don't keep looking at the wolves. Just check out where's the sati. Is the energy there? It's not a lot to bear in mind, is it? The energy. Understanding. Am I settling? Bear in mind. Craving is to be relinquished. Suffering is to be understood. Okay. Get steady again. That's your ground. 
rest of it depends on what's available, what's possible, where you can place yourself for that. Whether you're working or meditating or going whatever you're doing, you're always circled round by these five aggregates are always there, affected by clinging, craving. So, you know, it's important to know where the way out is that you don't have to run to with passion. Way out that's cooling, clarifying, easeful leads to the dispassion, leads to mm, radiance of the heart, rather than some adherence, clinging to a dogma, or a notion, or an idea, or a view. Once we begin to recognize this is, this is the path, this is the way, where these five indriya, collect together, peaceful, secure, not lost in time or place. If we recollect these, contemplate them individually, know how they feel, the experience of them, how they come together, then you're building up allies that will gather round the heart steady it, lead it in that way of the wheel towards liberation. Anyone?